dominating the headlines this week is Elon's purchase of Twitter. Obviously, he's the CEO of many different companies now, and adding Twitter to this portfolio only stretches his attention so far. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. The purchase of Twitter by Elon Musk has dominated the news cycle, but what will the knock-on effects be for Tesla and the tech sector in general? In today's episode, portfolio managers Chris McKinney and Matt Montemuro, along with your host Mark Rays, discuss Elon's latest move, as well as QT, quantitative tightening, tax loss harvesting opportunities, Canadian banks, and dividend ETFs. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the new and improved Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome to our BMO ETF weekly insight call with our team of experts. I'm the host, Mark Rays, a product for BMO Global Asset Management. I'd like to thank everyone for listening in. Once again, we really appreciate your time. We're joined today by Chris McKinney and Matt Montemuro, both are portfolio managers on our ETF desk. So thanks to both of you for joining us today. Morning, thanks for having us. Morning, Mark, thank you. Good morning, great, well, let's get going. Let's start with the interest rate curve again, as of course we've seen central banks start to raise overnight rates. However, longer term rates, while they have been rising dramatically, haven't quite kept pace as the curve has flattened. Now, advisors know there's a lot of noise on the long end with market intervention. So they've been asking back to the taper tantrum. And comparing to now, what are the indications about unwinding bond buying programs? And what does it mean for the market? And I'll give you two ETFs to put that in context with. ZAG, our aggregate bond ETF, and ZSD, our short bond ETF. Thanks. That's a great question, Mark. And you know, so far in 2022, we've seen rates you know, rise significantly and, and the yield curve flatten. You know, as short-term rate expectations have risen faster than those long-term rate expectations. We do expect kind of this trend to continue as the banking area continues to look to raise uh, rates. You know, we expect uh, June to be another uh, potential 50 basis point hike. I think that's uh, on the table. The market is currently pricing in that that's near certainty at this point. Uh, there were and there have been grumblings of that kind of jumbo 75 basis point hike. I think we've talked about it for the last kind of week or two. I think the Fed, uh, there's discussion about a Fed 75 basis point hike. Well, Macklin yesterday did say and kind of shut down that jumbo hike in Canada, kind of tempering some expectations there, uh, saying it's not appropriate uh, at the current time. So right now, the market still thinks that 50 basis point hike uh, is coming in June, but but nothing more than that. So, you know, we, we still do expect the front end to continue to, to go up. And uh, in the near term, I, w- I would expect the the curve to continue to flatten uh, that we're seeing right now. But as you mentioned, while the Bank of Canada has been, you know, busy raising rates, 
know, this isn't the only tool that they have in their toolkit. So as of uh, this week on April 25th, they will begin QT, so quantitative tightening. And this is going to be the first time the Bank of Canada will be uh, going into the kind of the QT cycle. So as you know, the Bank of Canada provided stability to the market during the pandemic uh, by buying bonds. Uh, now it's time for them to kind of let those bond holdings go. And, you know, it's going to put some pressure on the market. So, you know, as of April 25th, QT will begin. And the Bank of Canada will start to allow maturing bonds to mature and just fully roll off their balance sheet. As well, the Bank of Canada will also cease participation in all Government of Canada purchases in the primary market and will no longer participate in Government of Canada auctions. So as you can imagine, this is a significant large buyer that is now going to be completely removed from the market. So that is going to uh, that is going to create some volatility, and that's going to require other market participants to to step in. So you know what will that impact have on the market? You know, so this is kind of some some estimates as to what the Bank of Canada QT plan is. So by the end of July, the Bank of Canada expects to reduce its Government of Canada bond holdings by five percent by the end of the year. Uh, that is 15%. And then by the end of 2023, that's 35%. So that's a pretty fast pace uh, of uh, basically removing uh, stimulus from the market. It's much faster pace right now uh, expected versus the Fed. Um, and what I would, uh, I would expect is that this is going to continue to tighten financial uh, conditions and it's going to put some stress and pressure uh, on the bond market. I think the bond market is well equipped to handle it, but that does not mean that you're not going to see volatility in, in the near term as this happens. You know, I think this should lead to higher interest rates um, with, without the Bank of Canada having to explicitly raise the overnight rate. So that should help stave off some inflation. And I think that's the hope that the Bank of Canada does with QT is that it doesn't have to solely use the overnight rate as a way to curb inflation. Uh, they can use this kind of QT mechanism as a, as a way to, to normalize the market. The Bank of Canada's interest rate path is expected to slow down after the uh, July hike. So we are expecting a little bit more stability in the overnight rate increases for, for, the, for the rest of the 2022 uh, after a pretty aggressive path uh, to start the year. Um, so I do think QT will be a major driver for the rest of this year and into 2023. And I think that it'll have a, a pretty substantial impact on the market and it's going to put further pressure on bonds and it is definitely going to increase volatility. Uh, I think the effectiveness of QT could slow down bank account expectations uh, in, in them potentially having to raise interest rates. I think the market is pretty aggressive in their in their prediction. So, you know, potentially the success of QT could lead the Bank of Canada to um, not have to raise as much as the market is currently pricing in. From a positioning perspective, I'm still in favor of shortening duration at a portfolio level especially with a near flat yield curve. You know, I look at, like, like you said, ZSB with a yield of 2.95 versus ZAG with a yield of 3.28. You know, for me, given the volatility that I expect and, and the uh, potential pressure on, on the market, as well as, uh, you know, QT potentially steepening the yield curve, 
you know, I look at it and say, if I can get 90% of the yield in ZSB, but reduce my duration by five or six years, I would take that from a portfolio positioning perspective and reduce that interest rate sensitivity uh, as a whole. You know, fixed income, I think, has been challenged with returns for the year. So I want to just protect myself in the upcoming period of volatility. So, you know, I do think QT should help to normalize the market and will help to normalize the yield curve. I think it's probably going to slow down the pace of Bank of Canada overnight rates, and it should help. It should steepen uh, the yield curve over time. So, you know, from a positioning perspective, I do think that you know, looking at something or or, or complementing your core portfolio with some shorter duration assets like ZSB uh, would be attractive at this point. And you know, I think uh, over. The next uh, six months, I would continue to be concerned about duration and look to shorten it when, when possible, just given um, kind of this extra, you know, the overnight rates going up, but also the kind of normalization of the yield curve uh, via QT. So that's kind of how I look at it right now and how I would try to position my portfolio to, uh, to look at the impacts of, of QT uh, as, as the Bank of Canada does potentially slow down their uh, in overnight uh uh, interest rate hike cycle. Right. Thanks for that, Matt. And it is important to keep in mind as we focus in on the overnight rate that there are other tools in the toolbox, and certainly we can expect that unwind on the long end eventually. Introducing the new and improved ETF dashboard at BMOETFs.ca. From the latest strategies and insight to trade ideas, podcasts, and the digital ETF roadmap, the Enhanced Dashboard features everything you loved before and more. Visit bmoetfs.ca, that's bmoetfs.ca, and bookmark now for one-click access. Let's switch over to the really current news this week, which has been the purchase of Twitter by Elon Musk. Are there any knock-on effects if you look at Tesla, which of course is a major holding in many U.S. and obviously tech indexes, uh, as you consider China or growth in other markets of that nature? And if you can, uh, put it in context with ZAUT, our tech and industrial innovation ETF. Thanks. Certainly, as you say, um, you know, dominating the headlines. Uh, this week is, is Elon's purchase of Twitter, and uh, there, there was an immediate effect on Tesla stock uh, after this deal was was finalized, with the stock being down 12% in a single day. Um, the stock also down over 20% since it was first revealed that Elon had uh, that 9% stake built up in, in Twitter. And so certainly the market is looking at this as uh, a couple of potential knock-on effects to Tesla. And I think there are a couple of different ways to look at it. First of all, um, it's through how he will finance the purchase of Twitter. Um, you know, about half of this deal price is, is come from equity investments that he himself is personally guaranteed. And so you know, there's a couple of avenues there. You know, he can sell some of his Tesla shares in the market to raise cash. And he can also use um, more shares as collateral for, for a loan from a bank. And so that ties up additional Tesla shares. So what this does really is just create an overhang on the stock, you know, a little bit of selling pressure. And I think that's what we saw um, as that sort of knee-jerk reaction is that there could be some, in the near term at least, selling pressure on the stock as its, uh, you know, major holder is going to be potentially selling some of this 
uh, and, and tying up a lot of it as well, uh, again, potentially through collateral for loans, et cetera. And so that's really the initial short-term effect that, that um, you know, this purchase might have on Tesla. But then the longer-term impacts can potentially be investors questioning how much time will we now have to devote to Tesla? How much of this time will be taken up by Twitter and trying to turn that around Obviously, he's the CEO of many different companies now, and adding Twitter to this portfolio only stretches his uh, attention so far. And so, you know, how much will he be um, concentrating on on Tesla? You know, he famously slept on the floor when they were ramping up manufacturing um, in their in their factories. And so, you know, will he have that sort of uh, oversight of, of Tesla as well? And will that um, you know hinder the company's growth prospects? There's also some, um, you know, speculation that, you know, with China being a major market for Tesla um, and, and, and Twitter being banned in China, that somehow, you know, there can be influence from the Chinese government based on um, opening up uh, to Twitter to some respect. Um, there, there could be, you know, challenges for Tesla's business in China uh, because of that. Of course, that's all just speculation at this point. Um, and, and hard to decipher if there is any long-term implications from Tesla simply because of uh, its CEO owning another company that uh, the Chinese government may not agree with. So, um, you know, that's, I think, more speculation and long-term in nature. Um, but again, that short-term impact obviously has already been felt by the stock. Um, and again, really just creates a little bit of an overhang on that stock uh, in terms of that selling pressure. But if you take a look at Tesla and its place in the major indices, and you mentioned it's in a lot of the, the, the big ones, and of course, S&P 500, it's a major weight. In the NASDAQ, it's a major weight, and a bigger weight in our ZAUT, our Technology and Autonomous Innovation ETF. Um, and so if you're an investor in this area and you really believe in the power of autonomous technology and robotics, First of all, there's a couple of places that Tesla excels here. And first is in that robotics and in the industrial area and the manufacturing capability. And if you believe in, um, you know, again, that technology to be able to ramp up and scale up business um, to, the, to the degree that, we, that it seems like it can and is doing in Tesla already, um, that's one area of, of, of innovation here. And the other is in um, you know, autonomous driving and autonomous transportation that we're really just scratching the surface with. And by all accounts, Tesla is by far um, leading um, anyone else in this space right now. And so if that does come to fruition, Tesla expected to be a leader there. Um, so if you're of, of the mind that, you know, these are huge major areas of, of innovation and of growth going forward, that's really not going to be hindered by, um, you know, Elon Musk also owning Twitter. Um, that's, you know, the payoff there is going to be so gigantic, potentially, um, you know, down the road over the long term, um, that the benefits that this sort of technology brings to, again, the scaling of, uh, of manufacturing and industrialization, and then also, you know, that, that sort of autonomous transportation that, you know, we really, again, don't even know the implications of yet, um, because that, that really hasn't, um, you know, we're just scratching the surface there. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's space in that ETF in particular, and then also in some of those other major indices like the NASDAQ, um, I think makes for sound long-term investments. Great. Thanks for that update, Chris. Uh, certainly the focus on Twitter, but good to look beyond that and see what else is going on in the marketplace. 
and obviously some impacts coming through on Tesla. Let's switch back to fixed income. Uh, where we've got another consideration coming in from advisors, where they're thinking about the opportunity now for tax loss harvesting as, as fixed income has gone through a period of correction. And when we think about that, there's a bit of a double win uh, if they were to look at our discount bond ETFs in a taxable account, because of course, then you're thinking about lower coupon as well as capturing those uh, capital losses. And we did bring out a couple of new discount bond uh, listings this year. Can you talk us through how those ETFs uh, work and how they how they can be combined then with ZDB, our existing discount bond ETF? Thanks. Yeah, I can take this one, Mark. And so why don't I start with our discount bond suite? And then we can get into to the market right now. So, you know, what you can expect from, from the suite, you know, we offer three discount bond funds, ZDB. So that's our aggregate bond uh, discount bond fund, ZSDB. So that's our short one to five year uh, aggregate bond fund. And then we have ZCDB, which is our corporate one to 10 year discount bond fund. So these aim to provide a more tax efficient fixed income exposure for investors. So, you know, I think fixed income for a long time has been uh, a challenge, especially for taxable investors. So, you know, these solutions aim to uh, provide uh, more tax efficient exposure to, to fixed income. So, you know, how discount bonds work. So discount bonds are bonds that are trading at a discount to par. So less than $100. Generally speaking, these bonds will have a coupon that is in line or lower than the yield to maturity. So for a taxable investor, you get taxed on the coupon or the income that you earn. So having a lower coupon or a coupon that's in line with yield to maturity is actually means you're paying tax from what you're actually earning within the portfolio. And that's extremely attractive because for years, because of the nature of the universe and we've seen interest rates come down, you've been taxed on a coupon that has been higher than the yield to maturity, meaning you're getting taxed at a higher rate than what you're actually earning. So these discount bond products, because we aim to buy bonds that have coupons lower than yield to maturity or prices that are lower than par, actually provide a tax advantage for investors because you're getting taxed on a lower rate, a lower coupon, and you're earning a higher rate in the, in the current environment. So, you know, all things being equal. So that's kind of how the, the discount bond um, portfolios work. And, and what we aim to do is provide diversified exposure to the specific segment of the market, but just do so in a more tax efficient way. So when we're picking and choosing the bonds that, that we purchase, we are looking at the ones that are the most tax efficient. And again, that lower coupon or that coupon that, al- that it aligns with the yield to maturity. So this product suite aims to provide that segmented or, or aggregate fixed income exposure in that more tax efficient way. You know, if you want to compare it, ZDB provides that full universe bond exposure, very similar to ZAG. The risk characteristics are very similar. Return stream is very similar. It's just a more tax efficient concentrated exposure. ZSDB, so again, our short uh, discount bond, one to five year universe, provides that short universe exposure, similar to ZSB. And then we finally have ZCDB, which is the one to 10 year corporate bond. 
uh, and that's providing a more co corporate-centric, but again, still one to 10 years, so you're still getting that shorter duration uh, attractive for the current, current market. So now that I've kind of gone through the discount bond suite, you know, how have we seen investors use these products in the current market? So with current fixed income returns, as Mark said, being you know, unfortunately some of the worst we've seen in decades to start 2022, investors actually have a rare opportunity to undergo some tax loss harvesting to crystallize some losses within their portfolios. And you know, given the range of typical returns, you know, most tax loss strategies focus on equities. So we don't normally see a lot of tax loss um, harvesting opportunities in the fixed income allocation uh, of your portfolio. So we are starting to see investors say, oh, you know what, maybe this is a great time for me to reallocate, take advantage of this tax situation uh, and, and undergo some tax loss harvesting strategies early in 2022 because of the, the returns that we've seen thus far. So. I, I think we've seen it in two ways. One is kind of an apples to apples switch. So where investors are, let's say they own Zag, they sell Zag and they buy ZDB. So they crystallize that loss in Zag and then they remain invested in ZDB, which has the similar risk characteristics. So similar yield, similar uh, duration, similar sector exposures, but it is a more tax efficient exposure going forward. So you're able to take advantage of that tax position, but also you're not out of the market and you're not, you're not actually changing your investment strategy in this kind of in this example. This can also be done for ZSB, switching into ZSDB. So it's a very similar switch, like for like. And then also, if you wanted to change your exposure slightly, you could look at any of the corporate ETFs, ZCS, ZCM, ZLC, ZCB, and then switch those into ZCDB. All of those that allow you to stay invested in, in basically the same segment of the market, have a more tax efficient exposure going forward and crystallize that loss for tax harvesting purposes. The second strategy that we're seeing is when a client wants to, or an investor wants to actually change the allocation of their fixed income portfolio. So maybe they want to reduce the duration like we discussed in, in that first answer. So a client potentially could sell Zag or another longer duration fund, and then buy ZSDB, the short, short discount bond, or ZCDB, which is one to 10 years, so it does have that kind of three-year duration, so again, shorter than, than, than the aggregate. So by doing so, you're, you're crystallizing that loss, but you're also reallocating and re rebalancing your portfolio to a, a shorter duration exposure, all while uh, taking advantage of a more tax efficient structure going forward. So those are two strategies that we are seeing fixed income investors who normally don't have the opportunity to really tax loss harvest, you know, look at the current market, say, now's the time for me to make this allocation change, you know, look to switch from an aggregate product into these uh, tax efficient discount products going forward. Uh, and I think it, it's become uh, a very popular conversation we're having with investors. And I think it's, a, it's, a, it's an excellent outcome um, from, a, from a challenging market right now. Great. Thanks for that, Matt. And we certainly talked about discount bonds in terms of the lower coupons, uh, but a pretty unique situation here to sort of get a double win in terms of taxation uh, by crystallizing some of those losses you may have on your book and other products or perhaps directly in bonds themselves. So an interesting idea that came in uh, via some advisors. As advisors grapple with rising interest rates, market uncertainties, and the impact of geopolitical tensions, advisors are looking to provide uncomplicated, diverse solutions for their clients. 
Join portfolio manager and investment strategist Alfred Lee as he explores one sector to consider, commodities, with a focus on oil and gas, gold, and base metals. This special webinar streams Thursday, April 28th at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Register today at BMOETFsForum.com. Now let's switch gears back to the equity markets and wanted to touch on the Canadian banks, which have been going through a period of consolidation over the last couple of months. Now, is this just a result macro events and what's going on in the markets in general, or is there more at play when you consider the Canadian bank industry? And can you put that in context with ZED, our equal weight bank ETF? Thanks. Sure. And certainly this is a market that has quite a bit in, in just a matter of months, as uh, you know, many, many things have here in 2022 so far. Um, you know, and, and really, it's, it's largely a result of all the things that were working uh, for the banks and financials you know, late in, in 2021, um, you know, somewhat reversing so far here uh, in, in 2022. You know, we saw a, a steepening yield curve, uh, again, towards uh, the second half of 2021. And really, as we've discussed before, that's, that's a great environment for banks um, and their business model to be able to um, you know, lend at long-term rates and borrow at short-term rates, you know, the steepness of that curve really helps um, with that and with capital activity in general as well. And, you know, to start off here in 2022, um, or in the last couple of months anyway, and you, you kind of alluded to it off the top, Mark, um, you know, we've seen long-term rates continue to rise, but short-term rates have been rising much, much quicker. And so we've seen a flattening of the yield curve and almost, you know, an undoing of what we saw late in 2021 in terms of the, the, the slope of that yield curve and, again, the bank's ability to, um, you know, capture that spread between long-term rates and short-term rates has been somewhat hindered here so far this year. Um, and with the speak of central banks, you know, continuing to raise those short-term rates, um, you know, that's expected to happen going forward also. And, of course, to some degree, you know, the Canadian banks are, are leveraged to economic activity in general. And as the uh, energy market and materials markets have done very well. You know, that boded well for Canadian banks and, and share prices rose as a result of that. Now, with continued speech from central banks, again, increasing interest rates, you know, really by definition, what they're trying to do is to slow down economic activity to reduce the pace of growth and to reduce inflation pressures. Um, and so, you know, if, if they're successful in that regard, um, you know, the Canadian economy will be slowing down and potentially some knock-on effects um, felt by Canadian banks there as well. You can also see that through, um, you know, the credit spread on investment-grade debt, which has been rising. Um, you know, that's, that's telling us that the market is, um, you know, demanding a higher um, sort of compensation for lending money, even to investment-grade companies. And so just that just somewhat increases the potential for, um, you know, bad loans to increase. Again, this is more on the periphery here. It's not something that's an immediate concern, um, but something that is becoming a little bit more of a concern by the market. And again, you know, if there are, um, you know, bankruptcies out there, um, the banks are, are the ones that, that will feel the effects of that. So we've seen a little bit of that, again, starting to creep into sentiment. Um, you know, even though there's been a bit of a consolidation, as you mentioned, we're still kind of where we were to end the year in 2021 uh, in terms of where ZEV is trading. Um, obviously, still offering a decent dividend yield of around 4% uh, from those major Canadian banks. 
but just potentially a little bit more headwinds coming in terms of the growth potential that that, that Canadian banks can see. Um, and so what we've seen a lot of investors do, um, you know, in periods like this is um, if, if, if they're thinking there's a little bit less growth potential for the Canadian banks here, instead of investing in ZEB, they would switch to something like ZWB, the covered call version of our Canadian banks, where what you're doing there is really giving up a little bit of that growth potential um, in return for more current income through those call options that we're able to, um, to generate through that call option overlay um, in ZWB. You know, you're increasing the cash flow, you're increasing the consistency of your return, and you're giving up a little bit of that, that growth potential in order to do that. Um, so that's been a trade that, again, uh, we've seen a lot of investors do over the years. Um, you know, you're in ZEB for that growth potential and for that large runway uh, when economic activity is picking up. Uh, and when and when things start to slow down, you switch to that ZWB. Um, you, you clip a little bit higher yield. Um, you're getting a little bit higher distribution and you're giving up a little bit of growth to do that. So that's something investors can look at here. Um, you know, if, if they are invested in ZEB or looking at the banking space in general, um, again, we, we've seen uh, potentially a little bit more slowdown coming in because of these, these, these rising interest rates and that, that sort of flatter yield curve, somewhat reducing, um, uh, you know, the growth capabilities uh, of what the banks can offer. So a couple of different ways to play uh, the financial space there through ZEB um, or ZWB. Right. Thanks for that, Chris. And we have one more question for today before we finish off. Advisors asking questions in around ZDV, or Canadian Dividend ETF, where it certainly stands out from the crowd in producing positive returns year to date. Um, Certainly a lot of advisor interest in in what's driving that. So can you comment uh, a bit on the methodology, but as well, focus in on a couple of the names that are really helping to drive performance this year? Thanks. Yeah, certainly. I think a couple of tailwinds for, for ZDV is both, you know, in the methodology and in how it's constructed, that's really what's been working in this type of environment. And then, as you say, Canada in general benefiting from, from the energy trade as well um, and the energy and, and resources trade. And so, yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. So um, how we build this portfolio is we're really looking for those dividend growers, those companies that are growing their dividends over time. Um, but then also at a sustainable basis, we, we look at how sustainable these dividends are and are the companies generating the cash flow from operations in order to pay and grow these dividends over time. And so, you know, what you're left with is, uh, uh, you know, a, a portfolio of companies that are generally very cash generative and are able to return um, that cash that they're earning to, uh, to investors over time through the form of dividends. And so when you're when you're worried about inflation expectations and inflation being high, you know it's really those cash generative companies that you want to be in and you want to be invested in because they're earning that money today um, through their operations day in and day out. And, and you know when when inflation is high, cash is king, so to speak. You don't want um, money to be paid to you tomorrow or down the road. You want it today um, when it's worth the most. And so you know a portfolio of companies like this that are very cash generative is what's been benefiting in the market right now um, and specifically in Canada also because we're so focused on energy and resources as a uh, parts of our economy um, you know with oil prices and, and resource prices being where they have and, and going up continuing to go up through um, through the war in Ukraine and things like that 
um, the Canadian companies have, have been uh, benefiting from that as well. And so you have those two sort of uh, tailwinds both working in the favor of ZDV right now. Um, you know, obviously the energy companies have been doing well. We have a large, you know, about 15% allocation to energy and it's large companies, like I said, like uh, Enbridge, TC Energy and the like that are very cash generative companies that are, and are earning that cash flow and are benefiting from higher oil prices. Um, but it's also the materials companies like Nutrien, um, you know, the biggest, um, you know, potash producer there. You know, Canada is actually the largest producer of potash in the world. And so, uh, you know, benefiting from higher prices there, you know, the, the next two largest uh, producers are Russia and Belarus. And so, you know, with, with uh, supplies from, from those countries somewhat in question over the, over the next, you know, several months, um, Canada benefiting from that as well, and Nutrien in particular, uh, benefiting from that and being one of the largest, uh, having one of the largest returns uh, in the Canadian market. And so that's a large holding uh, in ZDV as well. And so those are the type of companies that have been working really well in this current environment. And ZDV really has, has put that all together in a package. Um, you know, if you're looking at other um, geographies that, you know, have that sort of tailwind of those cash generative companies, they might not have the same tailwind that Canada has in terms of that energy complex, but in the U.S. we have ZDY uh, for, for exposure to U.S. dividend payers, and ZDI is our, our international um, dividend payers uh, exposure. And so those are a couple of different areas you can look at. They should be working very similarly. Um, just, again, the, the, the uh, sector makeup is a little bit different depending on, on which region you're looking at, and Canada, again, has, has certainly benefited from, uh, from most of that here in 2022. Thanks for that update, Chris. And that's all the questions we have for today. So appreciate you walking us through what's driving ZDV. Certainly a lot of interest in that ticker right now. So with that, I want to thank everyone for joining us today. Once again, we really appreciate your time and thanks for listening in. Thanks as well to both Matt and Chris. Uh, some good insights today, again, covering a lot of areas of the market. Uh, really giving us a good update on what's going on in general, as well as giving us some good actionable ideas to take back to our own day. So with that, I just want to thank everyone one last time and have a great day. Thank you to Mark Rays, Chris McKinney, and Matt Montemuro for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about the BMO MSCI Tech and Industrial Innovation Index ETF, ticker ZAUT, which is poised to benefit from advances in robotics, manufacturing, and autonomous transportation. Our experts also discussed the BMO Canadian Dividend ETF, which offers exposure to cash-generative companies, some of which may be boosted by tailwinds in energy and resources. For more information about the other ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the new and improved Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.